This is a recording of Let There Be a Famine in the Land by Jim Hawker. Published in Interpreter, a journal of Mormon scripture, read by Steve Metcalf. Abstract. The drought recorded in Helaman 11 is probably the only dated climate-related event in the entire Book of Mormon that could have left a signature detectable over 2,000 years after it occurred. Typical methods to detect this kind of event, using dendrochronology, the study of tree rings or sediment cores from lake beds, either do not go back far enough in time or are not of high enough resolution to detect the event described in Helaman 11. However, over the last 15 to 20 years, various researchers have turned to analyzing stalagmites collected from caves to reproduce the precipitation history of a given area. These analysis methods are now producing results approaching the one-year resolution of dendrochronology with two sigma, that is 95%, dating accuracies on the order of a decade. There is an ongoing debate with regard to where the events in the Book of Mormon took place. One of the proposed areas is Mesoamerica, specifically in southern Mexico and Guatemala. This paper will test the hypothesis that the drought described in the Book of Helaman took place in Mesoamerica, using the results of precipitation histories derived from the analysis of three stalagmites compared to determine if there is evidence that a drought took place in the expected time frame and with the expected duration. The Book of Mormon records that the prophet Nephi, son of Helaman, asked God to cause a famine in the land with the hope that it would end the destruction and wickedness caused by a war with the Gadianton robbers. See Helaman 11 10. This event is unique in the Book of Mormon because it may be the only recorded event that can be dated within an accuracy of a few years and that might have left an imprint or signature that could be detected today, over 2,000 years after it took place. This famine had the following characteristics. 1. 3 to 3.5 year duration. It began during the 73rd year of the reign of the judges. Helaman 11, 2 through 5. 19 Book of Mormon years before the birth of Christ, 3 Nephi 1, 4 through 13. It ended during the 76th year of the reign of the judges, Helaman 11, 17. 16 Book of Mormon years before the birth of Christ. 2. Involved in a relatively large geographic area that extended outside of Nephite lands, Helaman 11, 6. 3. Caused primarily by a lack of rain not some other reason like war, plant diseases, or locusts, for example. Helaman 11.6.13.17 And 4. Severe enough that it stopped the war and, quote, they did perish by the thousands in the more wicked parts of the land, close quote. Helaman 11.6 Dating this event in terms of Book of Mormon chronology depends on what year Christ was born. There are differing opinions on this subject, but the proposed dates are generally within a range of about four to five years. A few of the proposed dates are as follows. 1. Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 20, verse 1, indicates a date of 6 April 1 B.C. for the birth of Christ. There is no year zero, so if he were born on 6 April 1 B.C., he would have been one year old on 6 April 1 A.D., and his birth could also be specified as being 0 A.D. Two. Randall Spackman argues, based on historical evidence, that Lehi must have left Jerusalem sometime between the spring of 588 and the spring of 587 B.C. He also accepts scriptural and historical sources that indicate Jesus Christ was born in the spring of 5 B.C. But his claim is that the only way to fit 600 years from time Lehi left Jerusalem to this birth of Christ is to assume the Nephites used a 12-moon lunar calendar, so their years were shorter than present-day solar years. 3. John Pratt compares the evidence for several dates that have been proposed for Christ's birth. He argues, based on some of the same historical evidence as Spackman concerning events before and after the biblical account of the birth of Christ, that Christ was born around the time of the Passover, about 6 through 9 April, 1 B.C. 4. Colin Humphreys compares the biblical account and Persian customs traditions with historic, astronomical, and other evidence to propose that the Star of Bethlehem was a comet documented in Chinese records 
and that the date of the birth of Christ was sometime during the period 13 through 27 April 5 BC, which also coincides with Passover of that year. 5. James Dunn indicates, quote, Jesus himself is generally reckoned to have been born sometime before the death of Herod the Great in 4 BC. A date between 6 BC and 4 BC would accord with such historical information as Matthew's birth narrative assumes, see Matthew 2.16, and with the tradition of Luke 3.23, that Jesus was about 30 years of age in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, see Luke 3.1, reckoned as 27 or 28 CE, close quote. Many other sources, both Latter-day Saint and non-Latter-day Saint, could be cited, but all sources the author is aware of fall within the range of years defined by the sources cited above. This range produces a corresponding range for the years when the drought described in Helaman would have occurred. All that is necessary is to determine whether or not this range of years for the drought event overlaps the range of years of drought events and geographic areas of interest defined from other sources. These proposed dates for the birth of Christ generate a range of years when the beginning of the drought could have taken place. If the spring of 6 BC is used as the date Christ was born, and solar years are assumed, the beginning of the drought could have been as early as the spring of 25 BC. If the spring of 1 BC is used as the date of the birth of Christ, and lunar years are assumed, the beginning of the drought, converted to the current modern calendar, could have been as late as the fall of 20 BC. Using 12 times 19 lunar cycles and a lunar cycle equals 29.53 days. This drought can, therefore, be described as starting any time from 25 BC through 20 BC inclusive, having a duration of 3 to 3.5 years and being severe enough that most crops could not grow because of the lack of precipitation. To resolve the confusion of the calendar schemes, BCCE, or B.C. A.D., the remainder of this paper will use the convention of plus or minus A.D. to indicate years, since this designation is familiar to most people and avoids the issue of the missing year zero in the B.C. A.D. convention, especially when doing associated math. So the drought can be described as starting as early as the spring of minus 24 A.D. and as late as the fall of minus 19 A.D. Detecting a drought as short as 3 to 3.5 years over 2,000 years ago presents difficult challenges. The method used to reconstruct the precipitation history needs a resolution on the order of half of the duration of the event being sampled. This means the time between samples of the precipitation history must be about one and three-quarter years or less. Any approach having a width between samples that is much larger than this value might not detect the event, or even if it does, it would only provide an extremely coarse measure of its duration. Of course, the approach for constructing the precipitation history of some geographic area would also require a way of determining the date or year associated with any given sample and to estimate the accuracy of that association. Many people are familiar with dendrochronology, the study of tree rings to reconstruct the precipitation history of a given area. The width of the rings can be used to determine the amount of precipitation by correlating the widths of the rings with known precipitation records in modern times. The earliest portions of the ring width patterns from modern trees are then correlated with the most recent patterns of older trees whose life overlapped the modern trees. As long as trees can be identified in a given area whose lives continuously overlapped backward in time, this method can provide a continuous estimate of the precipitation history that extends back before precipitation records were kept. The date associated with each sample or tree ring of this precipitation is determined by simply counting the number of tree rings to the desired year in the past. This method of constructing a precipitation history satisfies the requirements for detecting the event in the Book of Helaman since it has a resolution that is approximately one year per sample and can be dated to an accuracy of approximately one year. One proposed location for the events of the Book of Mormon is the Mesoamerican area, described in great detail by John Sorensen. But with regard to the drought described in Helaman in a proposed setting of Mesoamerica, dendrochronology is of no use because the oldest tree ring chronologies of the Mesoamerican region do not cover the period of interest, 
minus 24 to minus 19 AD. The oldest dated tree ring in this region comes from central Mexico and begins in AD 771. However, over the last 15 to 20 years, researchers have been developing methods that have resolutions high enough and dating accurate enough to begin to identify drought events with the characteristics specified in the account recorded in Helaman. In addition, these methods have been used to generate precipitation histories for the Mesoamerican region. This paper will test the hypothesis that the drought described in the Book of Helaman took place in the geographic area known as Mesoamerica using the results of precipitation histories derived from these new sources and methods. High-resolution methods of estimating precipitation. One of the postulated theories for the demise of the Mayan and other Mesoamerican civilizations has been that it was caused by prolonged droughts on the order of many decades. This has motivated researchers to develop methods for reconstructing the precipitation history of Mesoamerica. Another motivation has been the study of historical climate patterns for the Mesoamerican region as they relate to present climate change and the effect of prolonged conditions like El Nino on weather patterns. To achieve high resolution and accurate dating, many researchers have turned to the use of speleothems, that is, cave deposits, such as stalagmites growing in caves in the region of interest. The resolution of the precipitation history obtained from stalagmites is dependent on several factors. One important factor is the rate of growth of the stalagmite. A comparatively short stalagmite that grew over a particular time would have a poorer resolution than a much longer stalagmite that grew over the same period. Another factor affecting resolution is the method used to sample the growth patterns of the stalagmite along its length. For example, current methods require the stalagmite to be split along its axis. Holes are drilled along the central axis of the stalagmite to provide material for various chemical measurements. The resolution of these methods depends on the width of the drill bit and the spacing between drilled holes. The material removed from a majority of the holes is used to reconstruct the precipitation history, while the material from a smaller subset of holes provides dates with an associated date accuracy at the corresponding points along the stalagmite's axis. These date measurements are used to create a date model to estimate the date at any arbitrary point in the precipitation history. These invasive methods and a non-invasive method using light for reconstructing a high-resolution precipitation history from stalagmites follow. For in-depth investigation on the subject of using speleothems to reconstruct precipitation history, the textbook Speleothem Science, From Process to Past Environments, is available. Proxy Measurements for Precipitation Luminescence The luminescence method uses ultraviolet light to illuminate a narrow, approximately 2 millimeter, region on the central axis of one of the split halves of the stalagmite while recording the luminescence or color pattern with a camera scanned along its entire length. These patterns are produced by organic acids shown to be dependent on the amount of vegetation produced by the soil in the vicinity of the cave where the stalagmite was formed. Since the amount of vegetation correlates with the amount of precipitation, this luminescence pattern can be used as a proxy for rainfall. Low luminescence, that is, less organic acids, corresponds to periods of lower precipitation, while higher luminescence, or more organic acids, corresponds to times with higher precipitation. Since this method is non-invasive, it does not involve drilling, its resolution is dependent only on the rate of growth of the stalagmite. Drilling is still required to produce material for estimating dates, ages, along the axis of the stalagmite but these age drill holes are typically spaced much further apart than those drilled for other methods. Oxygen isotope concentration ratio. The oxygen isotope concentration ratio method measures the concentration of two stable isotopes of oxygen in powders produced from drilling holes at periodic points along the central axis of a split half of the stalagmite. The measured concentration ratio, O18 divided by O16, is used to determine delta O18 by comparing it with the oxygen concentration ratio of a standard, such as Vienna Standard Mean Ocean Water, or PD Bellumnite, or Vienna PD Bellumnite. Delta O18 is normally expressed in parts per thousand. To ensure the delta O18 values derived from measurements are a valid proxy for rainfall, 
Several measurements at the growth end of the stalagmite are compared with modern recorded rainfall records in the region where the cave stalagmite was located. Delta O18 is a proxy for rainfall in the stalagmites studied in Mesoamerica, primarily due to preferential evaporation rates of the lighter O16 in the nearby ocean. Rain falling on land areas close to the ocean therefore has a higher concentration of O16. During drier conditions with less rainfall over the area of the cave, fewer molecules containing O16 are present, causing the concentration ratio of minerals in the stalagmite that contain oxygen, hence delta O18, to rise. During wetter conditions with more rainfall, more molecules containing O16 become incorporated into the minerals in the stalagmite, causing the concentration ratio and delta O18 to decrease. Carbon Isotope Concentration Ratio The carbon isotope concentration ratio method measures the concentration of two stable isotopes of carbon in powders produced from drilling holes at periodic points along the central axis of one of the halves of the stalagmite. The measured concentration ratio, C13 divided by C12, is used to determine delta C13 by comparing it with the carbon concentration ratio of a standard such as PD bellumnite or Vienna PD bellumnite. Delta C13 is normally expressed in parts per thousand, depending on what standard is used. Delta C13 is an indirect proxy for rainfall in stalagmites because most plants increase the levels of CO2-12 in the soil, which percolates to the caves where the stalagmites are growing and participates in formation of the calcium carbonate that makes up the stalagmite. Higher levels of rainfall create more plant material, which increases the level of CO2-12 in the soil, but a higher amount of C12 decreases the concentration ratio, C13 divided by C12, used to determine delta C13. In drier periods, there is less plant growth and lower levels of CO2-12 available to form calcium carbonate which has the effect of increasing the carbon concentration ratio and delta C13. Determining the age of measurements. The method of choice for dating stalagmites appears to be uranium-thorium and is commonly referred to as U-series dating, although carbon-14 dating has also been used. Even lead-210, with a short half-life of 22.2 years, has been used for recent growth portions of stalagmites. Typically, powder from a few of the holes drilled along the central axis of one of the halves of the stalagmite are used to determine dates as a function of distance along the collected stalagmite. These dates are used to generate an age model that can be applied to the delta isotope measurements that are also a function of distance along the axis of the stalagmite. The age model may be as simple as linear interpolation between dated points or may employ the use of a MATLAB program to perform more sophisticated date estimation techniques. Date accuracies obtained by researchers within the last five years or so have been specified to be on the order of plus or minus 10 years for samples on the order of 2,000 years old. Accuracies specified in the remainder of this document will be two sigma Gaussian values, which correspond to a 95.45% probability that the true values are within two standard deviations of the indicated mean value. Is Mesoamerica the land? published research results. To date, there are four published papers documenting the analysis of three different stalagmites using techniques with sufficient resolution and that covered the period of interest over 2,000 years ago in the Mesoamerican area. Two of the stalagmites were collected from two different caves in Belize. The third was collected in the mountains of southern Mexico. Oxygen and carbon isotope measurements, along with the associated U-series ages, can be downloaded from the NOAA National Climatic Data Center. For each stalagmite from Yokbalum Cave and the Macal Chasm in Belize, and from Hutlawaka Cave in Mexico, the Macal Chasm stalagmite was recently reanalyzed. This new analysis produced higher resolution data and has an age model more clearly defined than that in the original published paper. They are described below in the date order they were collected. McCall Chasm, Belize. The stalagmite obtained from the McCall Chasm was designated MCO1 
by the researchers who conducted the analysis and reported the results. It was collected sometime in late 1995 or early 1996 and is 92 centimeters in length. Several methods were used to reconstruct the precipitation history recorded in MC01. The results of only two have resolutions high enough to meet the requirements specified above to detect the event recorded in Helaman. The authors refer to these methods as petrographic examination and ultraviolet stimulated luminescence, or UVL. Petrographic analysis examines the crystalline structure of the stalagmite to identify transitional boundaries between layers. There are two important types of boundaries that are of interest. Type E surfaces show signs of layer erosion and are associated with increased water flow, while type L surfaces have layers that rapidly thin away from the apex and are associated with reduced water flow and lessened calcium carbonate deposition. No type E boundaries were outlined in MC01, while 15 type L boundaries were found during the period approximately 4,700 years before present, or BP, where BP is 1995. Five of these type L boundary layers coincide with the Nephite Book of Mormon time span. The authors of the most recent analysis indicate the resolution of the luminescence data as a median pixel interval of 0 0.066 millimeters that corresponds to a median 0.38 years of growth per pixel. This is an improvement from the original analysis, which was about 0.5 to 3 years per pixel, based on a pixel interval of approximately 0.18 millimeters and estimated stalagmite growth rates of 0 0.069 to 0.402 millimeters per year. This resolution satisfies the requirements for detecting the drought described in Helaman. However, the confidence intervals of the age model are quite large due to the low uranium concentrations present in MC01. Because of these large confidence intervals, the authors identify somewhat long periods where all precipitation proxies indicate below average rainfall. They call each of these periods a major dry event, or MDE. An MDE is defined as a multi-decadal period with sustained values of delta O18 and delta C13 substantially higher than preceding and following values that coincide with UVL values substantially lower than preceding and following values. Additionally, an MDE will include petrographic evidence of significant dryness in the form of a type L boundary. The thinning layers associated with type L boundaries are physical evidence of reduced stalagmite growth and support the conclusion that higher delta O18 and delta C13 values coincide with lower UVL indicate drier conditions. They also indicate that the type L boundaries associated with the MDEs are always found at the end of an MDE. That is, the type L boundary caps the stalagmite zone with high stable isotope values and low UVL values. Once the MDEs were identified, the authors correlate the associated times with other published results to show that, at least on a multi-decadal time scale, there is agreement between those results. In a similar way, we will correlate and compare type L boundary events, the luminescence data for MC01 with the data from other published high-resolution results, and the drought event described in Helaman 11 in a summary section at the end of this paper. Hutlawaka Cave, Mexico. A stalagmite was collected from deep, approximately 800 meters from the cave entrance, within Hutlawaka Cave in May 2010 and designated JX6 by the researchers who performed the analysis. The much longer distance of the stalagmite from the cave entrance is a factor that distinguishes it from the other stalagmites in Belize considered in this article, which were both near their respective cave entrances. This fact significantly affected the age model and date accuracies for JX6. The age model created by the researchers is based on 20 U-series measurements over a 1,041-millimeter span of the 1,115 millimeter long stalagmite. The oldest sample dates to around 4,000 years before the time of collection, but discontinuous growth was evident until about 2,400 years before the time of collection, so the published results span only the most recent 2,400 years. The reconstructed precipitation history is based on 
Delta O18 measurements made from micromilling at 1 millimeter intervals, which corresponds to an average approximately 3-year resolution. These measurements are available on the NOAA website. Delta C13 measurements were made but not published. The researchers used the results to compare and assess the impact of droughts on the inhabitants of the Basin of Mexico and particularly the civilization based at Teotihuacan. The researchers calibrated the measured oxygen isotope precipitation history by using rainfall records from the Tacubaya Climate Station near Mexico City from 1880 to 2010 and showed correlation between rainfall patterns in Mexico City and the cave location. The researchers' analysis indicated a variable time lag for the rainfall water to make its way through approximately 160 meters of bedrock, or epicarst, above the cave to JX6, while observations of drip rates in the cavern, where JX6 was located, indicated seasonality and provided evidence of some fairly direct conduits for the water from the surface to the JX6 location. Most of the water took anywhere from 4 to 14.5 years to make its way to the JX6 location. The absolute values of the published correlation coefficients of this analysis are all greater than or equal to 0.80 for each year in this range, with the peak correlation being 0.89 at a lag of 9 years. Based on this calibration analysis, the researchers also produced a five-year running average data set of rainfall versus time, shown shifted backward in time by the nine-year delay when compared to the raw data set. The underlying assumption is that this delay is constant over the life of the stalagmite, which, in all likelihood, cannot be proven one way or another. It would seem that over time, mineral-laden waters percolating through bedrock could tend to precipitate out in some places and plug up water channels through the bedrock. This could cause an increased overall delay as time goes on, which could cause the delay observed in modern times to be greater than the delay 2,000 years ago. At the same time, water could dissolve minerals in the epicarst and open up water channels through bedrock. This process obviously occurs, or the cave containing the stalagmite would not have formed in the first place. Which of these processes contributes more over the passage of time is anyone's guess. Personal correspondence with the lead researcher indicates an innumerable number of water channels through the epicarst, each with a different delay, and that a simple average time shift was all that could be done, given what was known about the epicarst. But the true effect of the epicarst is much more complicated than a simple single time delay would imply. Yoke Balum Cave, Belize. The stalagmite from the Yoke Balum Cave in Belize was collected in June 2006 from a spot approximately 50 meters from the cave entrance. It is 607 millimeters in length and was designated YOK1. Due to discontinuities and complex growth patterns in the lower or oldest region, the researchers published results only for the upper or most recent 415 millimeters of the stalagmite. This region was dated to a period from 40 BC to the year of collection in 2006, so this time span barely covers the event in Helaman. The age model is based on 40 U-series measurements on the upper 444 millimeters of the stalagmite. Reconstructed precipitation histories based on Delta O18 and Delta C13 measurements were published and are available from NOAA. More than 4,200 stable isotope measurements were made on the upper 415 millimeters of YOK1. The sample holes were milled at 0.1 millimeter intervals, resulting in a resolution from 0.01 to 3.68 years. Of the three stalagmites reviewed in this paper, the reconstructed histories of YOK1 have both high resolution and the best accuracies. However, the authors indicate a major divergence between the Delta O18 and Delta C13 measurements during the most recent 150 years of the data sets, and that the Delta O18 measurements are not consistent with the known historical precipitation records for this area in Belize, but the Delta C13 measurements are consistent with those records. The researchers could not explain the reason for this divergence in the Delta O18 measurements but indicated that the Delta O18 measurements before this time are valid. A note to the listeners of this recording. A large portion of the remaining material in this paper refers to a series of graphs used to present, explain, and analyze data. 
please refer to the paper to view this material. Correlating the Proxy Precipitation Histories Figure 2 displays the various proxy precipitation histories measured from each stalagmite that overlaps some portion of the minus 600 AD to plus 425 AD time of Nephite civilization. All graphs are oriented so that increasing dryness is in the direction toward the top of the page. Increasing wetness is therefore in the direction toward the bottom of the page. Various horizontal solid and or dashed lines have been drawn across each graph to specify various averages and or drought thresholds. These are labeled to the right of each graph in the corresponding legend. These thresholds are unique to each stalagmite and measurement type and reflect what the corresponding researchers specified as the definition of a drought or what would correspond to average precipitation. Determining the width or duration of a drought is somewhat problematic because each duration depends on the threshold used with a particular data set. And comparing those durations across multiple data sets using different thresholds is somewhat an apples to oranges comparison. The best that can be done in this regard is determine if the various observed droughts are consistent with the account in Helaman. The first step will be to correlate the possible droughts across each proxy history and identify those that have commonality between the various histories recorded in each stalagmite. This will provide assurance that the same event was recorded by each stalagmite and was not due to some local phenomenon or something unique to a particular cave. The second step will involve focusing down to the period of interest recorded in the account in Helaman, around minus 20 A.D., and making similar comparisons there. There are two graphs from the Hotulawaka cave. The first at the top is the graph of the raw measured delta O18 values versus time. A value of 8.0 is the average for this graph. There are two dashed lines above this average. The upper line is labeled as 2 sigma from average and represents the threshold of drought defined for this data set. There are four error bars just under the horizontal time axis at the top of this graph that define the 95% confidence intervals at the peak of each drought at about minus 50, minus 92, minus 195, and 310 AD. Corresponding vertical gray bars extend down across the next two graphs to correlate these droughts from the Hatlawaka graphs with the Macaw Chasm graph. The second Hatlawaka graph is a five-year running average rainfall over the same time span as the oxygen isotope ratio graph. As explained previously, the researchers calibrated the raw data in the first graph, shifting it by nine years into the past and smoothed the result by calculating the five-year running average shown in the second graph. This averaging process, by definition, will broaden, lengthen any defined drought peaks by about five years in this graph when compared to the raw oxygen isotope ratio graph. The vertical gray bars that define the drought confidence intervals line up with the peaks in this second graph rather than those in the raw oxygen isotope ratio graph because it is the calibrated and presumably more accurate result. The reader should keep in mind that these confidence intervals are not durations of droughts. They are intervals of time that define when the actual peak of the drought seen in the graph could have occurred. In other words, one could grab the peak and stretch or pull the peak to the left or to the right within the defined confidence interval. There are also four confidence intervals above the peaks in this running average rainfall graph. They are wider than the corresponding confidence intervals in the raw oxygen isotope ratio graphs to take into account the subtraction of the average nine-year lag. This nine-year lag is really a random variable with a standard deviation that affects the resulting variance associated with each peak. This visual correlation approach is used because the peaks and events of the third graph for the McCall chasm, as previously specified in Table 1, have very large confidence intervals and cannot be reliably used for determining the dates of events unless they are compared and correlated with other, more accurately dated events from the other two stalagmites. Only these four droughts are referenced from the Hatlawaka stalagmite because only the Hatlawaka precipitation proxy histories overlap the Makal chasm for the period before 40 AD, when the Yok Balum record begins. All other drought events later than minus 40 AD are referenced using the Yok Balum record because it has 
the highest reported accuracy of the three stalagmites. The error bars defining those 95% confidence intervals are therefore just above the horizontal time axis at the bottom of the yoke balloon graph, and the gray bars extend upward across all the other graphs of the other stalagmites. The McCall chasm graph contains the type L boundary layer events, in addition to the luminescence precipitation proxy history. These boundary events appear as vertical lines at the indicated date. It is clear that the leftmost and rightmost of the four Hatlohaka drought events at minus 325 AD and minus 50 AD correlate very well with corresponding type L boundary layers and luminescence peaks in the McCall chasm record. The other two drought events in between these two dates do not appear to have corresponding peaks in the McCall chasm record, but it is significant that the McCall chasm luminescence graph does show exactly two other peaks that would qualify as a drought at values of less than or equal to 100 pixel intensity during this time span. They could correspond to these two Hu-Tlaquaka drought events because they are well within the plus or minus 300 year 95% confidence intervals associated with the McCall chasm data. This is illustrated by the two arrows pointing from the McCall chasm peaks to the corresponding Hu-Tlaquaka peaks. Between these two drought events in both stalagmite records, is a single pronounced wet period or a dip around 175 AD. This provides solid evidence that the two stalagmites are recording the same events, despite the large confidence intervals specified for the McCall chasm record. The Book of Mormon is silent with regard to events that might be related to climate around the time of any of these four drought events. They may have been weak in severity or not important enough to mention in Mormon's abridgment. Or perhaps the reason the Helaman account is the only mention of a drought over a 1,000-year history was that it was the only one specifically requested by a prophet of God, that it came to pass as requested, and that it ended as requested, understandably an important lesson to teach and record in a religious record. The Yoke Balum stalagmite record is used as a reference to correlate with drought events for the other two stalagmites for the time span later than 40 A.D., when the Yoke Balum record begins, it is readily apparent that the carbon isotope ratio graph is much less noisy than the oxygen isotope ratio graph, with very well defined peaks that define potential drought events. The carbon isotope ratio is used here as the basis for defining potential drought events using the 1 sigma above average threshold at minus 7.4 parts per 1000. VPDP, as long as there is a corresponding peak above the 2 sigma threshold in the yoke balum oxygen isotope ratio graph that is within the 95% confidence interval associated with the carbon isotope ratio peak. The yoke balum oxygen isotope scale is defined by the left vertical axis of the graph. There are eight possible drought events about minus 15, 117, 183, 213, 235, 258, 277, and 347 AD that meet the defined criteria. Of these, the only possible drought event that correlates with the other two stalagmite records is the one at minus 15 AD. The only peaks less than the 100 pixel intensity drought threshold present in the McCall chasm graph are those at minus 15 AD and 410 AD. Both these peaks also have an associated type L boundary. The 410 AD peak appears to be present only in the Hotlawaka rainfall graph because of the nine-year left shift from the calibration process and the five-year averaging. It would also appear in the top raw data plot if the horizontal axis would have been extended another 15 years or so. But a peak is not present in the Yoke-Balum carbon isotope ratio graph at this time and yet is present in the yoke balum oxygen isotope graph. It is interesting to note, however, that even the McCall chasm graph indicates drier conditions beginning around 180 AD, which coincides with clear peaks in both yoke balum isotope ratio graphs and the Hutlawaka graphs, and it appears there may have been multiple successive droughts or consistently drier than normal years that spanned nearly 100 years until around 280 AD. The Book of Mormon narrative just prior to and around 183 A.D. is very brief. However, sometime between 111 A.D. 
and 201 A.D., there were some people who revolted from Christ's church and became Lamanites. It is pure speculation, but could this long span of below-normal precipitation have been a contributing underlying factor of this revolt? Figure 3 zooms in to the time span from 140 to 40 A.D. to provide a closer look at the details of this single drought event that correlates across all the precipitation histories of the three stalagmites and compares it to what is known about the drought described in Helaman 11. In these graphs, the center point of the drought is defined using the width of the drought event. The width of the drought event for each stalagmite proxy record is defined to be the center point between the two points that cross the corresponding threshold for each stalagmite data type graph. These widths are annotated in the legend for each graph. The width of the Chutlawaka oxygen isotope ratio plot is about 10.6 years, and for the Chutlawaka rainfall plot, it is about 14 years. The difference of 3.4 years between the drought event widths measured between the two graphs is not surprising because the five-year running average process will broaden all peaks. This stalagmite was also deep within a cave where the drip water was estimated to take anywhere from 4 to 14.5 years, with an average of 9 years, to reach the stalagmite. The 3.5-year drought described in Helaman 11 could therefore appear as an event in the oxygen isotope ratiograph that was 7.5 to 18 years in duration, or, if the average is used, a duration of 12.5 years. This 10.6-year drought duration is consistent with the conditions that formed the stalagmite and the account in Helaman 11. The McCall Chasm drought event is about 6.5 years in duration, or about double the duration of the event described in Helaman 11. If the peak-to-peak -peak definition of the drought is used, the duration drops to 4.9 years. It is also interesting to note that the drought in the Chotlawaka and the McCall Chasm graphs also appear to have the same shape, with distinct peaks near the beginning and the end of the drought. The noisy yolk balum oxygen isotope ratio graph has a width of 11.4 years, while the yolk balum carbon isotope ratio graph has a peak width of 3.2 years. This last graph has a width highly consistent with the duration of the drought described in Helaman 11. But the two isotope records for this stalagmite don't seem to be consistent with regard to the duration of the drought. The drought durations, as measured using the various defined thresholds, indicate a drought sometime between 3.2 and 11.4 years in duration, excluding the Chutlawaka rainfall width, which is lengthened by the five-year averaging. This compares with the account in Helaman 11 of 3.0 to 3.5 years. This exercise illustrates the difficulty in attempting to determine drought event durations and comparing them between different stalagmites using a variety of data types and their corresponding drought thresholds. There is certainly consistent evidence that the drought was less than about one decade and very likely fewer than 6.5 years in duration if the noisy yolk balum oxygen isotope results are removed. Similar to Figure 2, the two sigma or 95% competence intervals are shown above each drought event, or peak, for the Chutlawaka and Yokbalum stalagmites, although in this case the midpoint of the competence interval coincides with the middle of the drought defined by the threshold crossings of the drought peak rather than the year corresponding to the maximum peak value. The McCall chasm competence intervals are not shown in Figure 3 because they would simply be lines that span the entire width of the graph without providing any additional information. They can be seen in Figure 2. The period that defines the range of possible drought midpoints from the Helaman 11 account is represented by the light red vertical column that spans across all graphs. The most important result of this graph and this paper is that this time span derived from the Helaman 11 account intersects all 95% confidence intervals at the only time when all these 95% confident intervals overlap. A five year shift in either direction would have missed intersection with one or more confidence intervals in the Chutlawaka or Yoke Balum graphs. Even the McCall chasm drought with the corresponding type L boundary layer at 25 AD is very close, approximately five to seven years, to the expected time frame despite the associated large, plus or minus 367 years, 
95% confidence interval. Conclusion. It is simply remarkable that dating analysis methods applied to stalagmites can now be used to estimate, one, a drought occurred just over 2,000 years ago in Mesoamerica, two, this drought happened within a few years of when the Book of Mormon account says it should have happened, based on estimates from multiple proxy precipitation records from three different stalagmites in the Mesoamerican area, and three, to the extent that a rough duration of this drought can be measured with the available proxy data and defined thresholds, they indicate a drought duration of somewhere between 3.2 to 11.4 years, a range that includes the 3 to 3.5 year duration described in the Book of Mormon. Whereas there may be other places in the North-South American continents where droughts occurred during the same time frame, based on these results, the Mesoamerican area cannot be excluded as a candidate for a place where the events in the Book of Mormon occurred. The evidence from these stalagmites can now be added to a continually increasing body of evidence that points to Mesoamerica as the setting for the Book of Mormon. Addendum With respect to the possibility that the Helaman 11 drought event took place in the present-day United States, somewhere east of the Mississippi River, there is evidence against that hypothesis. To date, the author has found one stalagmite with nearly the required resolution for the period of interest a little over 2,000 years ago in the eastern United States. It was collected from the DeSoto Caverns in northern Alabama in 2008. The analysis, presented in a master's thesis, indicates that the time from minus 72 A.D. to plus 28 A.D. was one of the wettest 100-year periods in the previous 1,500 years. This 100-year period is shown in figure 4 by the darker gray-colored bar. The analysis explains that the time series used in the plots were generated by the errant time series analysis software, but the time series values were not included in the thesis other than in plots. The delta O18 and delta C13 measurements were included in the thesis at 0.1 millimeter intervals along with a table of dated samples. The author contacted Mr. Aldridge to obtain the time series but he indicated that the hard drive where his data was kept was destroyed in Hurricane Harvey in 2017. So the author constructed a plot by estimated the time series from the table of dated samples and the isotope measurements. The author believes it is adequate to provide some conclusions. The plots in Figure 4 show the measurements for delta O18 left y-axis and delta C13 right y-axis over a 1,550-year span from 1500 to 50 A.D. for the DeSoto Cavern stalagmite. The 100-year period centered around 22 A.D. from 72 to 28 A.D. includes one of the two wettest periods during this 1,550-year time span, as indicated by the more negative excursions from an approximately 2,000-year average equal to minus 3.0 plus or minus 0.5 for delta O18, and shown by the top horizontal line passing through the upper plot. The short-term delta O18 average over the 100-year period centered at minus 22 AD is minus 3.45. This is 0.94 sigmas below average normal on the wet side of average. The long-term average delta C13 value over a approximately 2,000-year period is minus 6.8 plus or minus 1.2, is shown by the bottom horizontal line. The short-term delta C13 average over the same 100-year period, centered at 22 AD, is 8.28. This is 1.2 sigmas below average normal on the wet side of average. The two-sigma date accuracy for this short-term 100-year time is 46 years. The measurement samples in this region of the stalagmite are spaced about every 2.8 years, possibly somewhat less during periods when the stalagmite was rapidly growing. This resolution is about one year longer than desired, but is high enough to detect a drought event as short as 3.5 years with one or two samples. These results indicate that it is unlikely that a drought occurred anywhere near northern Alabama within plus or minus 50 years of the time the drought described in the Book of Mormon occurred for the following specific reasons. 1. The delta O18 direct proxy for rainfall indicates significantly higher precipitation, that is rainfall, than average within plus or minus 50 years of the expected drought time frame. 2. 
The Delta C-13 indirect proxy for rainfall indicates significantly higher precipitation through plant growth than average within plus or minus 50 years of the expected drought time frame. 3. The measurement resolution is high enough, less than 2.8 years, that it is not likely that a 3.5-year drought event would have been missed. There should have been at least one and possibly two samples indicating a drought. Instead, over this 100-year period, there are only five samples, out of 36 samples, of Delta O18 that barely achieve the expected average level of minus 3.0. There are no Delta C13 samples that achieve the long-term average of minus 6.8, let alone indicate any kind of drought during this relatively short 100-year period. And four, the 100-year period was selected because the two sigma date accuracies associated with these measurements are just less than 50 years. If the center of this interval at minus 22 AD is really up to plus minus 46 years from minus 22 AD, the two sigma accuracy specified above, because of estimation error, the previous three statements are still true to the significance of two sigma accuracy because the results still include the time of the expected drought event at minus 22 AD. Also, it should be noted, if this short-term interval is reduced by half to plus or minus 25 years, the results indicate even higher precipitation over this shorter time interval. Conclusion The data produced by the DeSoto Cavern stalagmite do not support the hypothesis that the drought event described in Helaman 11 in the Book of Mormon occurred anywhere in the vicinity of the DeSoto Caverns in eastern Alabama. In addition to most of Alabama, this vicinity would likely include adjacent areas of northern Mississippi, northern Georgia, and central Tennessee, since regional precipitation patterns in this area are very likely to be highly correlated. Jim Hawker has a Master of Science degree from the University of Utah in Electrical Engineering and currently works for L3 Communications in Salt Lake City. He was born and raised in a small farming community called Erda, about seven miles north of Tooele, Utah. He served a full-time mission to Oregon from 1976 to 1978. He married Pam Fetzer in 1980, and they raised three children in various locations that include Colorado, England, and Utah. His interests include genealogy, the Book of Mormon, and gardening. This has been a recording of Let There Be a Famine in the Land by Jim Hawker, published in Interpreter. A Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 30, 2018, read by Steve Metcalf. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Mormon Scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com. More information about the Interpreter Foundation along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.